This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, yes, we will discuss NLL expansion and the rumors. The Rush have won five straight. Face-off man Jeremy Thompson will check in. The Swarm are seven and one. O coach Dan Latticeur is going to stop by. And we're going to talk a whole lot more, including Nick Rose doing it again. All that and more on OTCB. What's going on, lacrosse fan? And welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. If you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter. I am always there, at Off the Crossbar. Or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Jeremy Thompson, Dan Latasur, our guest this week. Um, We're going to talk a lot of things over the next little bit. Um, Obviously, there's one big giant elephant in the room. We're going to get to it. Uh, We're going to cover a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, The WLA draft happened last week. Um, We're going to talk about why teams do the quick shot and when they should take it. Also, the goalies have been stepping up pretty large lately. Nick Rose up to his usual tricks. Plus, they've been playing some darn good lacrosse in between the pipes. And I want to end this stigma that games are over when it's 5-1. But of course, we have to start with the tweets that were sent out yesterday and that sent the entire National Lacrosse League universe on its axis and has just been a firestorm over the last 24 hours or so. And I got to tell you, It's gone a couple different ways, and we're going to try to break it down for you as best we can, because the reports that are out aren't false. It's just that they're not completely true. And what I mean by that is that Yes, some of these things that John Barchard tweeted out um, are true. But what's not true, and he ends up saying this later on in tweets, and he said about it on his LSN interview, that nothing is in stone yet. None of this is concrete. All of this is just the NLL's plan for expansion and what the league would like to do for expansion. None of this is gospel. It is essentially the commissioner's vision that was drawn up months ago and is now just coming to light in the public eye. So let's catch you all up to speed in case you're not on Twitter, you're not on the fan forums, you're not sitting next to somebody who's a lacrosse addict. Let's catch you up to speed. A guy by the name of John Barchard, and I apologize, John, if I'm saying your name wrong. Um, He works for uh, WIP. It's a sports radio station in Philadelphia. He's also on um, the Bleed Green Nation radio, which I believe is a Philadelphia sports radio website. Um, He covers the Eagles, the Sixers, the Flyers, the Phillies. He's a Cubs fan, an Iowa fan. Um, But more importantly, and this is what people need to know, is that He actually covered the Wings when they were in Philadelphia. So he's not just some nobody. 
He's not just a random guy that's making stuff up. He actually has a background in covering the National Lacrosse League, covering Philadelphia sports. So he has his finger on the pulse. And as any good person in the media will do, especially if you're in um, a market for a long time, you build strong relationships and you build networking lines. And this is what John has done. So he gets some information given to him. Now, we don't know specifically who gave him that information, but somebody along the way gave him this NLL expansion plan. And he has said that it's a couple of, ve- a couple of league sources. Now, from the people that I've talked to, from the league and from some of the other teams around the NLL, that this didn't come from the league, which makes you think that he has ties with somebody in the Philadelphia area, obviously, which he does. And that is where he's getting his information. Now, what he tweeted out, and I will get you in all this, and it says, Sources. The NLO expansion plan will roll out over the next three years. Targeted cities for next season, which would be 2018, Baltimore, Long Island, Montreal. He goes on. 2019, Philadelphia, D.C., Edmonton, Miami, 2020, San Francisco. And the next tweet responds with, the Golden, the San Francisco team will be owned by the Golden State Warriors, and they're also in talks with Paul Rabel to join that group. Golden State building a new arena that won't be ready until 2020, and the ownership group doesn't want to do anything until that's complete. Other potential cities with mild interest right now, Pittsburgh, L.A., Detroit, Ottawa, um, Salt Lake City, Nashville, Brooklyn, and St. Louis. So, let's break some things down here. None of these cities have signed on a dotted line. There are no ownership groups in place. There are no arena deals in place. Nothing is done. So, we can all step back and take a big deep breath. And relax. Now, what do we know? We know that Commissioner Nixakevich has adamantly said that he doesn't want to throw a new expansion team to the Wolves and not give them enough lead-up time to get their team in proper function. Whether it be front office staff, whether it be management, coaching staff, um, ticket sales people, merchandise, all those things. We've talked about this at nausea. On this show. So it's we're in March right now. And even if, say, they announced, as John said, that he expects something to come out in the next month or two when he was on Lack Sports Network, he said that, you know, he would expect an announcement in the next month or so. Now, if that were to happen, call it March or April, then they only have, whoever these teams are going to be, just over half a year, seven, eight months, to fully get a team ready for a January uh, 2018 start. So I don't think if this is going to happen, that expansion is going to happen next year. Because we're every day that passes that it's not announced is just another day less that a new team will have to get up and running. So... 
if it's not going to happen this year, then you move back to 2019 and so on and so on and so on. But as for the teams, that is, again, this is just what the vision of Nick Sakevich was at the time that this information was put out. And that probably has changed over the months, days, weeks that this was originally written. And so just because Baltimore, Long Island, and Maryland were in his tweet, you know, slated to start next month, doesn't mean that's actually going to happen because, you know, Dallas, Salt Lake City, Philadelphia, Edmonton, Minnesota, Philadelphia, I already said Philadelphia, um, any other city or ownership group could come and say, hey, here's a check, where can we sign? And the league will be like, great, you're in. Like, until someone has signed, no team is in for next year. So, where does that put us? Well, all of this new information that John tweeted out, while it may be new to the public sector, it's not new to the inner workings of the National Cross League. It's not new to them because it's being talked about with the Board of Governors. Uh, they're actually having a meeting on Monday, uh, I believe, uh, up in Uncasville at the Mohegan Sun Casino. All the Board of Governors are going to be there. And so they'll get an up-to-date version of this vision because none of it to them is new. It's just never been publicly stated. You can go back and see my tweets. You can see so many other people's uh, postings, whether it be on Inside the Cross, whether it be on Lax Sportsnet, whether it be on Lax All-Stars, whether it be on somebody's grandma's computer in her basement that doesn't actually have internet. All these cities that he's mentioned are all cities we've all talked about and all destinations that we would all want to see the National Lacrosse League go to. It's logical. All of these cities are logical destinations for the National Lacrosse League. So that is not new. It's just new in the sense that now we can actually look at the vision and see what the plan is. But we have to remember that it is just a vision and just a plan and not a mandate to say we have to be in Baltimore, Long Island, and Montreal for 2018. We have to be in Philly, D.C., Edmonton, Miami, 2019. And we have to be in San Francisco by 2020. It's not mandated. It's just, this is what we would like to do. If it doesn't happen that way, so be it. But we want to add three teams, then we want to add a couple more teams, then we want to that's fine. And that's been the plan all along. So again, none of this is new information in the sense that it's been there all along. It's just never been publicly stated. Now, I'll admit, I was a little miffed when a guy that hadn't really covered the National Lacrosse League in a number of years and probably wasn't having his real eye on the radar of the National Lacrosse League for a number of years since the Wings have left, it just struck me as odd that he was the one to break the story. But that's 
how the system of media works. When a person gets information, they look at the information, they verify the information, and then they print the information. That's how reporting works. I'm not mad at this guy. First of all, I've never met him. Only had like two email exchanges from him. And I literally asked him, how did he get the information? And they said it in a roundabout way because he made a joke about, hey, Lax fans, don't, you know, if you're a new follower of mine, just, you know, my account is mostly farts and eagles. Football. And I said, so how does a guy who tweets about those things, how does he get this information? Well, I guess it's not in my place to ask, but I was curious of what his quote-unquote sources are. And as any good journalist would do, he kept his sources close to his vest. So I'm not mad at him. It's not his fault. He was just doing his job. So, where do we go from here? Well, when I spoke with um, both Nick Sakevich and Ashley Dabb of the National Lacrosse League, um, they had no comment, which is fine. Um, you know, the league has all these non-disclosure agreements or NDAs so that they can't go into specifics about who they've been talking to, um, what, you know, what talks and how far along the road the talks are. But those are the questions we need to know. How close is he to this vision? That was really poor inflection. How close is he to this vision? You know, are we going to see three teams next year? It doesn't matter what the cities are anymore because that's just the vision. The question is, if you were going to put three teams in next year, are we going to have three teams next year? And with it being almost March, it's getting less and less likely that the commissioner will want to put a team in in this short of time. So then we go to 2019. And if you were going to do three teams this year and four teams or three teams in 2018 and four teams in 2019, well, then how do you, you're not going to bring seven teams in all of a sudden, but you're going to want to expand. So now what do you do? Do you maybe just make it two or three teams? Do you make it five teams? Maybe we're just one team. But again, the cities don't matter now. We just want to know, and this is the question I've often asked Nick, and whenever he says, you know, I can't comment because of the NDAs. And I get that. I just want to know how they're going. Is there, can you say, hey, you know what? We have 40 NDAs. And I would probably say, you know, five of them are just kicking tires. 15 of them we've had preliminary meetings and talks with. Um, another eight have been to games and, you know, are like what they're seeing. And then there's this other five, my math is probably way off by now, but there's this other four or five that, you know, we've had some further talks with. We're beyond the handshake stage of, hey, this is what the NLL is. Those are the things that I want to know. Again, you don't have to tell me cities, I get that. And I wouldn't expect you to tell me the cities. But if you could, and this is the thing, is that it's like throwing a bone. And this is what John has done for the entire lacrosse world of the National Lacrosse League. Is the, is, we've been all thrown a bone. 
And when dogs get thrown bones with a lot of meat on them, they attack it. And that's what we all did. We all like, oh, my God, what is this? Where is this? Who is this? But when you step back and take a breather and look at the big picture of things, none of what he tweeted out is new. It's just new to the public eye. So let's just all take a deep, another big deep breath. It's like yoga, but I'm doing radio. And we'll move on. Because until a check is in the hands of the National Lacrosse League, there's no expansion happening. The plan is to expand, yes. All those teams that were mentioned in those tweets are possible destinations and destinations that the league has talked with and spoken with. And again, some talks are just kicking tires. And other talks are quite in-depth. As of right now, there's no expansion happening, but there is plans to expand. And we move on. It was a crazy week in the National Lacrosse League. It all started um, midweek when the Colorado Mammoth pulled off a bit of a shocking trade. Um, shocking the fact that I didn't really see it coming. And I don't think any of us really saw it coming. And that was when the Mammoth were able to acquire Stephen Keogh from the Rochester Nighthawks for a first and second round pick. And it just, it, what did it do? It verified the fact that the Mammoth are in injury troubles. Uh, No Noble. Crawford was day-to-day. He was a game-time decision. They picked up Keegan Ball, put him on the practice roster. Uh, Zach Greer was out of the last game. John Grant Jr. is still out. Uh, Nick Asello is appealing his suspension. So they were in tough. And so they had to go and make a move to get some bodies. And when they were able to make that trade, it kind of took everybody by a bit of surprise because nobody really saw it coming. But I love the trade for the Mammoth because I've just been a massive, massive Stephen Keogh fan for the longest time. He is just a, an absolute fantastic cross player. He's gritty. Uh, he is the prototypical grinder. He will get you a two or three goals maybe, a couple assists here and there, but he's going to grab six or seven or eight loose balls. He'll draw a couple penalties. He'll fire the team up. He'll fight if he has to. And that's really what the Mammoth needed with all these injuries that they've had because they just needed somebody to fill the hole and fill that gap that was left. And Keel is that guy. You know, he's, again, he's not going to set the world on fire. But he's a serviceable grinder that can lead your team when needed. And they needed it. And he almost helped them to a victory when they played Saskatchewan this weekend. And I almost thought he was going to. And he just continued to impress in that opening game. And I think he's going to be a mainstay for Colorado for the rest of the year, especially with their injuries. But even once they get healthy, I think you're going to see a lot of Stephen Keogh in Mammoth Maroon. It was odd to see him wearing 87, though. He wears 28. 
and that's worn by Brent Adams. Joey Capito wears 82, so he can't do the flippy-flippy. So he went to 87, and he got a goal, two assists, and was really effective all night long. And so that kind of started the week off. And then once we got to the actual games, we were in for a treat. And if you didn't watch any of the games this past weekend, you should probably go to NLLTV.com. There's the plug. And you should probably go back and start watching some of the games. Um, Georgia at Toronto was phenomenal. Uh, The battle for the East. And it was everything that the hype built it up as. And just another day for Lyle Thompson to continue to shine. Another day for Tom Schreiber to continue to shine. But that wasn't the only game on Friday night. New England and Buffalo. New England beating Buffalo 14-11. And that game... That game could have been a lot uglier than it was because New England just went on a absolute tear to start the game. They were up 4 nothing, eight and a half minutes in before Dane Smith got a goal. But by the end of the first quarter, it was 5-1. By the end of the half, it was 9-3. David DeRuscio got the start, only lasted those first four goals. Cause came in, played the final 52 minutes, was better, but just it was too big of a hole for the Bandits to climb out of. And then on Saturday, we were treated to a near handful of games. Toronto playing their second of back-to-back, coming off the overtime loss, going to Rochester, beat their arch-rival 10-6. And Nick Rose, what can't you do? Cross on the right wing, the shot by Gillies is stopped by... Nick Rose, he's got the empty net, firing toward the empty net. Dawson trying to knock it away, he scores! Nick Rose has scored a goal as he fires at the length of the floor. Dan Dawson couldn't get back, and it's 10 to six as Nick Rose goes the length of the floor. And picked the top corner, may I add. Uh, Rosie's second ever national lacrosse league goal. Of course, he got one last year. And then this year, just heave hose it just out of the reach of Dan Dawson. Takes two bounces, picks the top corner. Sealed it. And the Rock end up getting a split over the weekend, which was good for them. Um, they, you know, they stayed within reach of the Georgia Swarm, which is exactly what they needed to. Yeah, they would have loved to have gotten both games, but the split is just as good in that position. They stay within a game and a half of Georgia. They're two and a half up on New England, three up on Buffalo, and three and a half up on Rochester. So they're in a very, very good spot. Speaking of Toronto, did you see the goal that Dan Dawson scored? One-handed, with his back to the net, not even looking at the net, and Shoots it underhand, short side, past Nick Rose. And this whole epidemic of one-handed disgustingness that we're starting to see, Literal Harris, Curtis Dixon, John Grant Jr. when he's playing, now Dawson, 
Like, everybody's doing this. It's getting out of hand. And I might have to start a petition for the goalie union to ban all underhanded, one-handed shots if you're not looking at the goal. Because it's just not fair. And we got to be fair to the goalies sometimes. Because they're facing 50, 60 shots like Dylan Ward did over the past weekend. And stopping 90% of the shots that he faces. 86. But the goalies aren't, you know, taking this laying down. They put up some solid performances on the weekend as well. And, you know, it's 8-7 between Colorado and Saskatchewan. Um, Ty Belanger played a fantastic game in net for Vancouver as they beat Calgary 13-10. Nick Rose is just... Nick Rose is doing what Aaron Bold and Matt Vince used to do. Whole teams under nine, like every game. And just be steady. Make the proper saves, control your rebounds, and not give up second chances. And then to the games on Sunday, the early game, if you happen to catch it, was might have been the best game of the weekend. And it was a 16-15 final between Buffalo and New England. And it was back and forth the entire game as Buffalo found a way and they willed themselves back into that game and avoided a two-game losing streak over the weekend and avoided falling even further back in the East. They would have been 1-6 had they lost that game. But they didn't, and they did it without the services of Ryan Banesh for most of it, who took a pretty nasty high stick, or sorry, an elbow, from Bill O'Brien. And you can imagine that that one's going to be looked at. As all five-minute majors are looked at. We hope Benny's okay. Um, There are reports that he wasn't doing so well in the Bandits' locker room after the hit. But he does hope to be back this weekend when the Bandits take the floor. So um, that's good. But you never want to play around with concussions. Um, You know, Jeremy Noble's been out for almost a month now, and we need guys to be protected. Um, Steve Priolo tweeted out to the league and to the commissioner, um, unless they start protecting high hits, they better bring back fighting. Um, And a lot of guys are taking a stand, and it's weird. This is a weird year in the National Lacrosse League, and it's slowly becoming the evolution of social media and sports. And guys are being more vocal about the National Lacrosse League. And unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but by their code of conduct, they are supposed to be well-represented individuals on Twitter. And there have been guys that have been reprimanded or fined because of their social media activities. I was one of them. And guys are being pretty adamant about their thoughts. And... It'll be interesting to see how the league responds. Uh, we talked about it last week about, you know, this gray area that we've entered in with the uh, calling of majors and calling of match penalties and calling of um, and all the suspensions that are coming out because we are getting to that point where 
Some things are being called matches that should be called majors. Other things are being called majors, which they should be called matches. And some things aren't even getting called at all. And for a player, it's frustrating because you just don't know. It's why you like consistency from the very first whistle to the last whistle. And I thought the game, uh, the late game on Sunday, the Georgia-Rochester game, was one of the best officiated games I've seen all year. The refs didn't call double minors on every little scuffle. Um, They let the flow of the game dictate how they called the game. It was a fast back-and-forth game. They didn't initially put their whistles away, but they weren't quick to hand out big penalties, and they weren't quick to hand out multiple penalties, and I liked it because it allowed the flow of the game to be better. And I'm not saying that you know the 16-15 Buffalo-New England game or the Rochester-Toronto game or any of the other games this past weekend didn't have good flow, but when you're calling... You know, holding the stick penalties and too many men's and all these other calls that, yes, need to be called, but in the pace of games, sometimes they can be let go. And I thought the Georgia Rochester game really showed that. I thought that you can let the players at times um, officiate themselves. If two guys just give each other shoves, you don't have to send them to the box right away. That's what I'm trying to say. And sometimes, like, and I know there's, I've been told by an official there's no such thing as minor interference anymore. I kept on saying minor interference when it was a moving pick because essentially that's what it was. But sometimes there can, you can just call a minor interference. And I think it was the New England, the first New England game, the New England Buffalo game. And, Bill O'Brien took a slash, I think, from Mark Stainhouse. And then when his teammate picked up the ball, Bill O'Brien just kind of gave him a cross check. And all the official had to do was say, nope, that's offensive interference, minor interference, it's Buffalo ball. But instead they gave Bill O'Brien a penalty. And Buffalo ended up scoring on it. So it's... I understand the, the officials in lacrosse, are, it's one of the toughest games to officiate because so much is happening. And I'm okay with the three-ref system, but sometimes you just got to let the guys play. Just got to let it happen. I mentioned the Rush have won five straight. And one of the key components to the Rush's success over the years has been from Jeremy Thompson. They call him Gun. He has been a fantastic resource for them. Uh, he can play both sides of the ball. He's an ace at the dot. And he is just one of the most humble guys that I've ever spoken to. And I was able to catch up with him earlier today. And one of the first questions I asked him, we were talking off air about some of the stuff that he'd been doing um, in the community in Saskatoon. I just had asked him, how that's going, how he's enjoying it, and how the Saskatchewan community has taken to lacrosse since the rush have shown up in town. Um, it's um, it's not the bad thing, you know. Like it's one of the things I'm passionate about. Um, you know, kids. Um, you know, it's always um, it's it's a sad thing to see when I go, you know, in the Midwest area. You go, especially when I go to the First Nations communities. 
you kind of see a low poverty uh, mm-hmm. rate of um, you know kids you know throughout the throughout the country out that way, and you know so it's the least I can do. And you know one of the things, like I said, I'm passionate about it. And you know not every kid in, in those communities might not have a parent or you know an aunt or uncle. You know? So I kind of in a way I kind of see myself as you know an uncle, mm-hmm. uh, role model uh, for, for those kids in those communities. So. Like I said, it's the least I can do, and you know, I just I I do it, um, you know, passionately, and you know, go out there and you know, uh, spread the game lacrosse, and along with um, you know, um, promoting uh, Saskatchewan Rush, and you know, myself, and you know, Thompson Brothers Lacrosse. Do they do they understand the the history of the game up there, or is that something you're trying to teach them as well? Um, yeah, it's it's just just about everything you know I kind of do when I go about you know into my travels. Um, I think they understand parts of it. I think a lot of it's new to them. Um, like I said, I kind of explained myself where, um, you know, what me and my brother are doing with Thompson Brother Cross and mm-hmm. spreading, you know, what we were taught growing up in our hometown community, um, you know, to kind of teach it from the grassroots and, you know, from a traditional aspect about it into, you know, what it is as a mainstream sport uh, today. And, um, you know, we just, you know, pretty much share with the kids that, you know, know that you, you guys can own a craft and know that you're put here for a reason and that, you know, everybody has different abilities and, you know, and, and that's, and that's within yourself to find that, you know, through hard work, you know, and adversity and know that it's not going to be perfect. And, you know, if you kind of find those things, find yourself working hard, um, you know, you never know where it could, um, you know, take you, you know, always try to be content about, you know, where your travels take you or where your opportunities take you because you never know what's in store for you over that way. And, you know, those those are some of the things that we share with the kids and, you know, just to inspire them, you know, just from where they are currently in today, today's society, in today's age. And, you know, we just try to inspire them in whatever whatever sport it is, maybe, you know, it's not, we don't try to, you know, promote the kids, you know, try to get them to play, force them to play across. It's more or less, you know, you have a gift, you know, if you can own a craft and, you know, whatever it is, you know, find that within yourself. When when you were a young Thompson brother growing up on the on-dog reserve, what was the vision always to be a, a pro lacrosse player for you? Um, I don't, I don't think so. I think we kind of grew up a lot, just kind of surrounded by family. And yeah. my dad played obviously a lot of senior B with Dalkosy Thunder. Um, I'm pretty sure you might be aware of the Thunder. Oh, they yeah. won a couple of championships, so I think that's when it kind of started. I think my dad won his first championship in '95, and um, you know, we're kind of just like you know, kids that were kind of always, like, in the locker room with him and, you know, following him around, so. When 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 you're going to be, you guys talk about, you know, yourself and your brothers and, and all of the Native American guys talk about the relationship to the creator. What were some of the first stories you remember hearing about um, the creator and, and the story of lacrosse and the Native people? Um, I think, I think when I, it's kind of always, I, I I just I think it's just being a part of it, being around the community since like being a part of ceremonies and we've always been a part of that stuff and I think that's why it just became second nature. But for me, I think the first time that I kind of realized it was when I was in about um you know fifth or sixth grade, you know kind of going into junior high, um seventh grade around that area, um I started to realize the an essence of it and what it was teaching us because like I said like every spring we would you know be reminded. We'd go out in the springtime. We'd have a medicine game out in our community and that that nation, and it was for the people. It was for everyone that might needed it, might be mostly down. And so it was like you said, it was a reminder every spring 
to, you know, we go out there and play. And it was fun. It was, you know, we had roughly around 100 players on the, on the field. And it was, um, you know, it was, a, it was a good time. It was just, you know, right from young kids to adults, adults, and elder people out there on the floor just to be out there. You know, I didn't necessarily have to be touched the ball. It was just the essence of it, them, that person, their well-being, and just being out there and their energy. So I think it was around that time I could really start to realize that it, this, it was much more than um, a sport to me because, mm-hmm. like I said, we got me and uh, me and Jerome, the two other ones, um, we got put into an immersion program and we didn't start reading right English language until we're in the fifth grade. Wow. So like those first couple of years were adjustment, and then once we got into high school, it was like, oh, all right, this sport, this feel across sport, it was like, oh wow, it can kind of take us somewhere. We can use this as a vehicle maybe get ourselves an education. So I think that's where it kind of everything kind of started, right? From there, it kind of just went, went uphill. We realized that, you know, that this is much more than a sport. It was a medicine to our people. It was a reminder. And the creator had set, in, set out certain intentions, you know, basically to go out there and put your best effort out, you know, win or lose. It wasn't about that. Like I said, like every spring, it's just about the essence of having a good mind, good energy, go out there. If you get hit, you get slashed or whatever. You're not supposed to retaliate because you're not, mm-hmm. not the reason you're out there for. And that's how we play it on the nation every spring because we use our traditional sticks. And you're you're bound to get hit with a wooden stick on oh, yeah. or wherever it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we didn't we don't wear pads or anything. It's just yeah. uh, the wooden stick. So it's like it's just it's, it's tough. It's it's a it's a tough thing, you know. And I think it's just a mind frame you're supposed to have because it's so easy to retaliate when. If yeah. you have a strong mind where, you know, you don't, don't retaliate, you know that it's for a much bigger purpose than, you know, you're bound to have those good thoughts, good energy, and, you know, it's just overall good, better event, right? Do you guys still do those spring games? Like the, the meditation yeah, games? Yeah, every spring. Is that, is that a, every spring? That's crazy. Yeah, every spring. Every spring they call, the Tuesday out, goes out by word, and uh, or just everyone comes into town. Even guys that are living out of town, you know, guys that move off for a while, you know, have partners that move off to different reserves, they're usually notified. And everyone just comes, yeah, they come in for the day, and it's usually uh, a pretty good day to do it. <laughs> I would imagine so. Uh, let's talk about the good days uh, you and the Saskatchewan Rush are having. Uh, obviously, a bit of a slow start, um, and you guys lost the first two games of the year. What's changed? Um, since those opening two losses to now where you guys have won five straight? Um, I I honestly think um, it kind of goes back to, I think we kind of, you know, it's 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 hard to be up on a top. And, you know, after winning last year, I think, you know, you know a couple of us, you know, some guys on the team, you were kind of stuck in that, you know, the championship from the year before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so those first two games were kind of like a, you know, we kind of took, we just ran with them. We didn't. We didn't. We just ran with the teams, and you know, it's like we didn't. We we didn't follow up with our X's and O's, and you know, and buy into the system of what you know, coach was saying, Coach Keenan, and you know, I think really it's these last since we've turned it around, and you know, obviously it helps being in, in Saskatchewan, but yeah. um, you know, we got our first win when we got back there, especially with the fans there, and you know, how incredible they are. But I think it really comes down to. Um, everybody in the locker room being on one page, uh, being on the same page, and really buying in because 
Um, and coach, he expresses this all the time that, you know, it's, it's really comes down to the sport isn't, we're not going to succeed if it's going to be an I.I. situation or me, me, if it's about you. And really it's, it comes down to, you know, trying to put goals in on a net, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be different for everyone every night. Um, you know, it could be Mark scoring on the left side or, you know, Ben or Robert, you know, and just never know. But if I think everybody buys in, you know, right from the offensive end, you know, transitioning the ball up and right down to our goaltender, everyone's on the same page. And I really think that's what it kind of came down to and what we changed to. And we really realized that first couple of games that we're just kind of like going through the motions yeah. and just kind of running with the team. We didn't take it to that next level. So I think we're kind of still on the high horse there for a little bit there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that championship hangover. Um, would you Would you deep down like another shot at your brothers in the Georgia Swarm after that first game? It's uh, it's it's crazy that you bring this because uh, I've been talking about it here and there. You know, just with the success they've been having this year yeah. after last year, you you could, you could kind of see them over the years. Last these last couple of years, you could see Georgia climbing up. You know, they had a good run last year against um, you know, New England when they lost it. When you know they popped the question when you know they kind of thought that they should have won it. But you know, mm-hmm. those are the kind of games that it comes down to, and it comes down to you know team effort. But um. You know, this year it's um, it's like you said, it's a tough league to, you know, kind of go off of based off of when you're, you know, you're dominant at the same time because once it comes on the playoffs, it's a whole different level. Yeah. And it's about it's about those um, the little things when it comes down to playoffs. You know, those little things, getting them done. You know, executing X and O's. You know, right down to a team. It's about you know who makes the least mistakes. And um, you know, it's you know, come that down to your question, it would be. It's uh, I have to say yeah. It's like um, <laughs> yeah, I would say you know a re- rematch of game one, be, yeah, uh, game one of the season. There, you know, it brings back the Guinness World Record book thing, which was an incredible thing because we had a lot of family down there from our hometown. My parents, our wives, and and I thought a lot of cousins were down there, so it was it it was a special moment, you know, being down there first game, you know, and and all part of that. And it's just um, I mean yeah. I I would it would be that'd be you know pretty much a dream come true if something like that did happen you know right if it just, it would be the, a coincidence if uh, you know we rematched the first game of the season again and you know three brothers on one team and yeah one brother on another team you know a rematch of that wouldn't be not that bad of an idea <laughs> <laughs> you uh, well hopefully it'll be it'll come to fruition for you guys in the Champions Cup final because that's the next time you guys would possibly face but. Do you do you have to? Are you quietly uh, cheering for for those guys and seeing the success that Lyle and, and those guys are having? You know, when you're watching them playing, you if it's like not against you, you kind of give them some fist bumps when you see some of the things those guys are doing. Um, if, if anything, I think it just makes me proud with the success yeah. that they've been doing and everything that they've you know been a part of and the opportunities that come their way. And that's just one of the things that we're taught and like by our parents was to be content about the opportunities that come your way and, you know, be happy about it. You know, win or lose, it's like you said, it really comes down to like the cultural aspect about it. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it comes down to success and all that. It's just really, you know, it's, um, you know, it's a good, with that comes, you know, a good sense of energy. And I think that's what they give off. And, you know, whenever you you have success, you know, win or lose, you're always going to be proud of them. Right. And, 
you know, for me, that's how I am. You know, as an older brother, you know, I'm 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 happy for their success. You know, absolutely. Um, it's 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 cool. You know, seeing the highlights with my brothers and and you know some of the things that they're doing. You know, Lyle being the you know leader right now with the mm-hmm. NLL, but I don't think that's really a big factor to him. I think no. the big thing is that they're winning. He's they're they're he's he's getting play lacrosse and 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 with that along with his brothers, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, no it's doubt, something that always been a dream come true for them, right? So. So, um, let's talk some some strategy stuff. Uh, I've been watching your game and, and and the draw guys games for for a while, and there's two schools of thought. There's the the vision of you know you and and Jeff Snyder was one of the first guys that I noticed it, and a lot of other guys are starting to turn this tactic of of watching the referee for when he blows the whistle versus guys who just bury their head and wait for the whistle. Why did you become a guy that watched the ref? Um, I don't know. I just, I'm not, I guess I'm, uh, it just kind of worked for me, I guess. Yeah. Um, I switch it up. I don't really like to be a person of, um, routine all the time because then mm-hmm. other teams will catch on to that and they, they get accustomed to that. So for myself, I, to be honest, I switch up. Like I go down from, if you've noticed, I just kind of went down to a kneel or sometimes yeah. I'll stand up. And it's just, it's just however, whatever it is, and at the moment, I just kind of go with. But I think the first time, the very first time I tried it, you know, looking at the ref was in the 2014 games, and I was pretty successful at it. Um, obviously, going up a guy against uh, Greg Grillian, plays yeah. for New York guy, you know, he's, you know, a, a legendary face-off guy, right? Going up against him, you kind of try to, you know, try to pull different things out of your pocket, right? And try to do what you can do, be to be the best you can be, be as successful as you can as going up a guy going up against a guy like that. So um I tried it then in the twenty four twenty fourteen World Games in Denver, the field games and you know, I just I just tried it I just tried it here and there and, you know, I kinda found that it was a little successful, different a different uh tool to my game, so I just kinda went with it. Uh speaking of world games, uh twenty eighteen's coming up pretty quick and, and the games are supposed to be back in, in Europe. Is there any been progress made about resolving the issues that we saw a few years ago with the Hodnatrani passports and, and Team Iroquois going across the water? I can't really talk too much on it. All other yeah. than I know is that we got our passports um ones updated from the ones we had previous and right. from my understanding I don't think the US has accept accepted them. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said before, in 2010, we were allowed to leave the United States, but um, the United States wasn't going to let us back in. Yeah. So <laughs> England was going to let us in. So I don't know. It's a confusing subject. Fair enough. Fair enough. So you, you guys have a, a big game this weekend against Calgary at home. It's always good to be, uh, you mentioned, at home in Saskatoon. Uh, what are you expecting from uh, a roughnecks team that's not exactly playing their best ball right now? Calgary is, you know, it, Calgary, when it always comes to Calgary, it's always, um, you know, when we're in Edmonton, it was uh, like the, the Battle of Alberta, and I mm-hmm. kind of feel like it's still like that. They're a rival team. You know, we kind of, we we hate them. They hate us. You know, so there's a love-hate relationship there at the same time. But we get to come in. It's going to be a good game of lacrosse. I feel like it always is. They're always, a t- they're always one of our toughest opponents. And, um, you know, for us going this weekend, it, uh, I think the good thing is we got, um, you know, home field advantage. Um, you know, with the fans and stuff like that, but I don't know if it's—I don't know if I can really say that too much because you know, hmm. in Calgary they have uh, 
they have a pretty loud house too. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, we're looking for a good game. You know, we just want to keep the ball rolling. Like we said, we're on all four cylinders right now. We're clicking pretty well, and we just want to keep getting better. And um, you know, no matter who the team is, you know, if it's an East team, West team, division game, um, we're going to bring our best, and we're going to be ready for every team, and we want to build off each game. Jared, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, I know it's uh, it's tough for you. You know, you were just in Saskatoon, and you're only back for a short week before you have to head back. But um, give all the best to the family out there and the, the Thompson Ranch, and uh, good luck this weekend. Continued success the rest of the way, my friend. Thanks again, Teddy. Thanks for reaching out. Here's Jeremy Thompson of the Saskatchewan Rush. And, again, just one of the most humble guys um, you'll ever get a chance to meet and speak with. We're going to hear from Dan Latasseur in a little bit. And, you know, he's the O coach with the Georgia Swarm. And obviously, Jerome Miles and Lyle are down there. So I kind of posed the same question to him, and, and we'll hear his answer later. But the upbringing that the Thompsons have and the tradition and pride and passion that their father instilled in them is just so evident when you watch them play and how they play the game of lacrosse. They play it for the right reasons. They're not there to fight. They're not there to um, sully the great name of lacrosse or the creator's gift. They just want to go out and play the game and have some fun. And You can just see that whenever you speak to these guys about lacrosse and about their family and about all the little things that they do, whether it be going up to rural communities in northern Saskatchewan or driving across the country to go to the North Dakota pipeline. They are just such fantastic ambassadors for the game. It's it's incredible. And then you heard me ask him about um, his face-off style. And I really started to notice it as I was watching more and more games on NLL TV this year because the cameras are doing such a great job of you know getting in close on the two draw guys. And you'll notice that there are some guys, like there are the, the guys that will look at the ref and try to time his whistle blow. There are guys that will just stare at the ball and wait for the whistle blow and just try to time it that way. Um, you know, Jeremy talked about sometimes he goes down on one knee, sometimes he's all the way down, sometimes he's crouched. Uh, some guys do the motorcycle grip, some guys do the one up, one down. There are so many different techniques for taking a box draw. And there's no one exact way. And I think the best way that Jeremy described it is you always have to be evolving and you always have to be changing. Field across is a little bit different just because of the way the players are positioned on the field. But when I first started noticing Jeff Snyder doing it, he was the best in the world at it. And he would just... The ref would put the ball down, both guys would go down, the referees say set, and then Jeff's eyes would just follow the official. And he would just wait. And then as soon as he saw him about to blow, he would just go. And he became the best in the world at it. And now more and more guys are doing it. And you can watch. Watch the guys that that keep their eyes on the officials compared to the guys that don't and see who's more effective. Graham Paro, my challenge to you. Watch every face-off and take stats of guys who look and guys who don't and their win-loss percentage. I await your facts, sir. I await your facts. So the rush, 
are five and two. They have won five straight. And I don't want to get too biased or political in all of this thing as I do this podcast because I try to stay neutral. But I would like to see the ending of that Colorado-Saskatchewan game played over again for a few reasons. Um, The most glaring reason was that the go-ahead goal scored by Ben McIntosh with the extra attacker shouldn't have counted. We got a penalty coming up here, too, to the Colorado Mammoth as Ben McIntosh went down hard. Holds on his way out. Adam Jones with it, trying to get it back to Matthews. Ryan Keenan, back to Matthews. Ben McIntosh, quick stick in the lead! Ben McIntosh, unmarked. He was hurt. He got up and buried. No, they're going to wave that one off. I think that might have been a shot clock violation. They are waving it off. They were waving it off. And then the officials conferred and said that, no, it was in time. But then they didn't allow the Mammoth to challenge because they said it was outside of the 25-second window. But it wouldn't have been outside the window if the referees hadn't talked about it and deferred and questioned whether it was a goal for so long. But the flag was thrown in time, picked up by one of the players, taken to the officials they wanted to voice their displeasure with the call. But then they said, nope, it's a goal. You cannot challenge. Downing is in the box for a major. And it's one off the major. If you go to NLLTV.com, skim through the game and go to 2 hours, 11 minutes, 29 seconds, you can see that the game clock is at zero and the ball isn't in the net. You can see the white flash of the ball going right past the official, and it's not in the net. So it shouldn't have counted. They should have been able to challenge, but they weren't. I'm still questioning even the call on Greg Downing, whether it was a major or not, and that's everything that I was talking about before, about all these things that are being called majors. And I understand that hits to the head are naturally majors, but you can have that can be a two-minute illegal cross-check call, if you're going to call that. There's no intent. It wasn't a vicious, violent hit. It can just be an illegal cross-check call. But the rush came out on top. Jeff Cornwall scores an empty netter. They win by a pair, and they've won their fifth straight. The other top team in the National Cross League are the Georgia Swarm. They are 7-1. Their only loss to the Mammoth a couple weeks ago, but they continue to put up numbers on offense, and they continue to get stellar goaltending from Mike Poulin. And my dark horse in the East is becoming the beasts of the East. And who would have thought that when the Toronto Rock were winning all their championships in the late 90s, that one of their top defenders was going to be coaching their offense to just under 15 goals per game. His name is Dan Latticeur. He is a Durham regional police officer when he's not moonlighting as the hottest O coach in the National Cross League. And I caught up with him earlier today, 
and I asked him, is he the one that we should be giving all the credit to for the swarm success? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Lyle just puts the ball where I tell him to. That's pretty much how it goes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's funny. I, uh, a couple of guys have asked for us, so what's it like working with that group? And, uh, it's just, they're just amazing athletes at that Odor. It's, uh, it's creative. I'm, I find myself watching more than anything when I should be working, to be honest with you. I'm more of a fan than a coach. Has it been a big adjustment working out the front door and coaching the front door for you? Um, you know what, like when I talked to Eddie before I started working with him, um, I talked about how he visualized this role and, and, the, and the role really, it didn't really change it. Um, it's still about looking at defenses and looking at defensive players, mm-hmm. um, but then interpreting what I see for an offensive mind, that's a bit of an adjustment. Yeah. Um, and, and the guys have been great with it because, uh, you know, obviously I'm learning as I go as well. Um, but that's really kind of what I, what I do and what I try to do for the guys. And, and so far, so good. Obviously, the, the guys are having some success, and uh, it's a pretty talented group to work with. But, I mean – Really, they're not they're not big on the X's and O's with a creative yeah. group like that. They they we have a system that we want to keep them within and some gentle reminders that way and and help them identify maybe some uh, some defenders tendencies and some system ten, uh, tendencies and let them go. But it's it's a lot of playground lacrosse with those guys, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's uh it's they uh, working with that group there. Um, you know, you, you defend against players like that, but then seeing what they put into to being really great at their at their craft, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty amazing. You get a lot of respect for for the old guys and what they put in, and, and to be as good as the talented as they are. So you now respect offensive guys. This is a big change. Yeah, like it's uh, <laughs> yeah, big change for me. Yeah, is what I mean. <laughs> yeah, um, it was it was obviously a tough off season for you guys, losing Jesse King, but. Uh, Jordan Hall stepped in and didn't miss a beat, and he's been a real solid veteran leader for you guys. How integral has he been in to sort of helping that room mature and, and make a seamless transition to this year? Um, yeah, not having Jesse there is, is huge. He's he's always around, and uh, he's chomping up the bit. He's doing everything right to get back. But having Jordan there, um, when we got him in the offseason, couldn't tell you how – excited I was to get to work with him. Eddie was mm-hmm. pumped, has worked with him before. And then when he came in, it's like he, uh, it's like he belonged here all along. He's, uh, he's a great guy to be around. Uh, he's fun. Um, he's creative. He wants to, he wants the he wants team success and he wants to put the team first. Mm-hmm. You know, he does the little things like, you know, he, he does all the off store stuff and off floor stuff and in the, in the team meetings, he's, he's a, he's a strong voice. He's a veteran leadership presence and, and he keeps things light. He keeps things fun and he keeps everybody in, uh, engaged. Old guys, D guys, coaches, you know, when, when we have a meeting, um, you know, Jordan's Jordan and, uh, Jordan McIntosh are, are normally the two at the, at the lead there and, and they keep it interesting. They keep it fun. And at the same time, they make sure that they balance the focus with that too. So, yeah. you know, having them working with them has been a real treat. And then now you guys get Johnny Palace back and he didn't miss a beat um, this weekend. Obviously the, the OT winner in Toronto was huge. It's just good to see a young guy like that, that had some success obviously early in his career with, with Mintos and, and three straight cups with Rochester. And now we're starting to find a hole in that offense. Now that he's healthy, how much da- more dangerous can you guys get? Yeah, you know, I don't think Johnny's where he wants to be yet either. You know, yeah, he's, uh, we sort of, you know, we he's coming off that concussion protocol. He's feeling good. He was he was frustrated. He wanted to get back as, as soon as he could. But, you know, the protocol is the protocol. And, 
Yeah. And John Arlott is very dedicated to to the players, to the health of Johnny Palace over the over the lacrosse player Johnny Palace. Yeah. He wants the he wants the man to be to be healthy for the for his future. So we you know we instituted a back to work policy as we often do for the guys coming back from injuries and, and sort of yeah. limited his shifts and that kind of stuff. But you know he's he's going to be back and taking regular shifts and being even more dangerous. So you know we saw how exciting he is to watch with limited minutes. I can't yeah. imagine until he's out there on a regular shift. Uh, obviously, going into a bye week, you guys get some time to get some guys healthy, and obviously we know you know Jesse King's a long way. Um, from coming back, but what's the focus of this team sitting at seven one going into the bye week? Um, we we just we talked about the process. Um, it doesn't you know numbers are or whatever they are. Eddie had a big strong reminder for the guys to you know to may, maybe take some time this week to obviously work on your bodies, but maybe reflect on what got you got us here. You as a yeah. player, how have you had success so far this season? And as a group, what are the things that we've done? how hard have we worked in what areas of the floor and just take some time to reflect on that. Maybe watch some film and, and actually pull some stuff out and say, yeah, you know, these are, these are a few clips that, that mean a lot to me because this is a direct relation to the success we're having or that I'm having personally. So, you know, it's, it is about getting healthy, um, our bodies, but also mm-hmm. again, that, that bit of reflection on what they've done so far and what it's going to take to have continued success. You talk about Eddie Como and, and the successes that he's had throughout his career and you've known him for, for many of years with um, Team Canada and with The Rock. How, how special of a coach is Ed Como? It, uh, when, I, when he called me in the summer, I, I couldn't have been any, any more surprised or happy. Um, yeah. I mean, just talking to Ed, he's a great guy. Yeah. Um, but as a lacrosse coach, he is so, so open in his communication, his approach to, to players. Um, it, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's just so much... So very Les Bartley-like in how yeah. he, he approaches players, how he reads players, um, and how he sees the game. It's it's very funny because I don't know if guys know, but um, he's pretty critical of himself. Like if he if he missed a timeout or if he he could have done something different just before a TV timeout. Like we get in the office and he says, "I should have done this. I should have done that." And and meanwhile, you know, his demeanor doesn't change. He's still light. He's still positive on the bench. But you know, he's 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 very committed to being better as a coach. So. I'm learning so much from him this year. Yeah, you talk about um, learning from Eddie, and a majority, over, I think it's 75, 80% of the coaches in the NLL right now had some sort of influence from Les Barton, you being one of them. Um, what do you remember about Les and his legacy on you and in the game of lacrosse? Uh, I remember Les being like, uh, he was a people person. He surrounded himself with the right people for the X's and O's and, and uh, that he could say, you know, he had his input on, on what he thought was going on in the offensive zone or defensive zone, but he concerned himself with the players. And and uh, I see a lot of that in Eddie and guys like Jammer too. Like yeah. Keenan does a good job at that. Like you, they surround themselves with the right people. Um, they have their input, but they, they trust their people. They let them work. And then they, they, they chime in when they need to, and they manage people. They manage the players. They manage the personalities. And that's, that's a very big big strength to have in this league, in, in any sport. How would your game translate to today's NLL? Oh, I don't think I'd be there. As soon as they got rid of, as as they got rid of the clutching grabs, I'm done. <laughs> Is it changed that, that much? Is, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it has. I mean, if you think about it, you know, those early days in Toronto was uh, is very much box-style defense where you yeah. got away with uh, a lot of the clutch and grab. Um, you know, offensive players really had to work hard to get open. And now 
they call it really tight and it's more exciting for the games and we're seeing higher, higher scores. And I guess that's, that's good for the fans, but um, you know, at the same time, that element of physicality, some of that is, is left the game. So there's a balance. You can't gain without giving something up. And I think in for better, for worse, I think some of the physicality is gone out of the game, but um, we're seeing more goals, more exciting plays, more, uh, you know, great level, higher level of stick skills. So, um, yeah, I think the game and the other things like the the quick restart, the eight second mm-hmm. rule, the no the no um, kicking it back to the goalie in the crease, all those little yeah. things speed up the game, and uh, and that's you know it's exciting to watch. Uh, the speed of the game has been a fourth strength of your Georgia Swarm. The offense, Lyle Thompson, obviously leading the national lacrosse, and he just continues to get better and better, and he continues to just do things that make people's jaw drop. Is there any limit for what? he can do and any limit for what your guys offense can do? I, they, they're, they're limited by their own creativity. I really believe that. And, uh, and to watch Lyle, like we talked in the off season, we said, you know, ideally we would have Lyle come back where he left off last year. Yeah. You know, it took him a, a little while to get used to the league, used to the players, used to the team. Of course. He came back, um, you know, hit the ground running and, uh, and, you know, Eddie often says this is the most vocal and comfortable he's seen Lyle ever around the guys and around the team. He's taking on a leadership role. He's speaking more um, offensively and in, in how we do things and, and where you know where we want to set up. So to have his input is obviously he's he's producing huge for us. But he's yeah. about making the other guys better too, right? He wants everyone to have success, and and he's very involved in that. So you know, he's been he's been great to work with, great to talk to, and and it's just his commitment to the sport. Like it's yeah. you know the the part of his heritage and he's passionate about it. So watching all of that is, you know, it's really something special. I was just talking with Jeremy Thompson before we had you on the podcast and, and, you know, just talking about the tradition that their dad instilled in them and the pride of the game and, and the, the, the relationship to the creator and the humbleness they have. It's just incredible to see guys at the top of their game and who are elite athletes be that humble and, live by the code of you know what if a guy two hands you that's just part of the game you just move on yeah it's uh it's amazing that uh they play with such with such passion but Mm -hmm. it's all again it's it's all it's all sort of above board it's everything's fair sort of fair game and within the confines of the game like i see i see jerome go out there and and he's passionate he's physical and all of those things but none of it none of it is with ill intent none of it it's Mm -hmm. all within the confines of the game and and to watch again they're they're passionate they're committed to the sport and and the heritage of it so it's it's fun to be around it's and especially at this level and that they're sharing it on the you know on the big the big stage that they are is great for our sport they're great ambassadors both on and off the floor it's fantastic to see but uh, more importantly, it's a fantastic to see this form at 7-1. and one. Uh, I'm so happy that you're back in the league and you're coaching. you got a smile on your face, Laddie. It's always a pleasure catching up with you, my man. And I'm sure we'll see you down there. Yeah, I appreciate the time, man. There he is, Dan Lattisur, offensive coach, the Georgia Swarm. Again, 14.8-something-something goals per game. And they lead the National Cross League with 119 goals for in eight contests and they've been in all types of games the the game against Colorado they just weren't there it was just one of those games where they hadn't practiced that week they didn't have shoot around and the guys just weren't ready but you know the the win over Toronto they were pushed to the limit the win over Vancouver they were pushed to the limit um 
even ever since those opening couple games where they put up 18 on back-to-back nights, they've dropped down a bit in that 14-15 range, but they continue to do damage. But most importantly is the play they're getting from Mike Poulin. And he has just been an absolute phenom for them. And when I talked to him uh, after the game on the weekend, he said it's just fun to be playing behind that group and, and for that group. It's, it's making lacrosse fun for him again, and it's making it easy for him. And he's just glad to be there, and he, he's just excited at the possibilities of what this team can do. And Laddie mentioned, it's not a bunch of me's and I's, it's a bunch of we's. And the Georgia Swarm have been just on top of the national lacrosse world all season long. And they haven't missed a beat with Jordan Hall. They haven't missed a beat with Johnny Palace coming in. Uh, and he's still yet to reach his potential. Just imagine if Jesse King were there, what that offense would look like. What do you do with that offense if Jesse King is there? Scary, scary stuff. I just wish there was more people there. And I'm going to say it every time Georgia has a home game and they do an arena pan, and I can count the number of people who are in the back end seats, corner to corner, top to bottom. There's got to be a solution. But I don't know what it is. Don't know what it is. Um, A couple other things um, that are just musings from my head. Um, Talking about the National Lacrosse, we talked about uh, guys who don't look at face-offs and guys who do, or sorry, look at the refs and guys who do. Um, We talked about the goaltenders all across the board really stepping up. Um, their games from week to week and just stymieing some of these offenses. Uh, I mentioned Ty Belanger. Uh, Dylan Ward was fantastic in Saskatoon. Aaron Bold was equally as good, but Dylan Ward was um, just under fire and under siege all game long. And they were. It's. I almost at one point tweeted out that the Mammoth were like the Broncos, a great defense and an all-star defense with an offense that's just getting by. And that's not fair but it was fairly similar because of just the guys that were out of that Colorado offense but what and what they were doing. But, you know, the defense for the Mammoth and Dylan Ward have been fantastic. Um, you look at what George is doing, look what Toronto's doing. And across the board, you know, teams are starting to, to find out solutions to other teams. And that comes with playing people over and over again, but it also comes uh, with proper scouting. Um, using the crossover video that the NLL teams are using now, you know, I've I've been let in to see you know some of the mammoth meetings with their players and just how they're able to break down just simple goals and slow it down and focus on certain things. It's really impressive how far the National Lacrosse League has come, other than just each team having one DVD to watch. So um, it, it continues to grow and teams get better because of it. A couple things that were mentioned during broadcasts. Um, Chuck Jaffe, who calls the New England games, um, was a little too quick to use, oh, this one's over, it's going to be tough for Buffalo to come back. I think it were 5-1 at one point. It's just never over. The rush were down 4 nothing, came back, boom, tied at 4-4. It can happen that quick. And even... You know, under five minutes to play. If a team's down three, four goals, a game is not over. I will only say a game is over when there's five seconds left and it's a four-goal lead. 
I'll probably say it at some point during a broadcast, but you know what I mean. This game is so quick, and goals can happen in a blink of an eye, that no lead is safe. And we need to continually stress that when we call our games. Because oftentimes sports fans are so used to seeing early blowouts and then a game gets boring. Well, if it's 5-1 in the first period of a hockey game or the second period of a hockey game, yeah, probably. If a basketball team's up 35 points at half, it's probably over. But we saw what the Patriots did in the Super Bowl somehow. And in lacrosse, leads evaporate in an instant. So we need to get away from that idea that early on in a game, when a goalie gets pulled and a team goes down 4-5, or five, that a game is over because it's not. One other thing. Um, quick shots. And we, you hear uh, us broadcasters say it quite a lot. Um, it generally happens when there's under a minute to go and a team will get possession of the ball and go down quickly and take a shot on net and what we call try and get a two-for-one. And what that does is that, so if there's 45 seconds left, I'm going to take the ball, get across center, fire a shot, and hit the goaltender, try to get a reset. But if I just hit the net and he picks up the ball and the other team comes down the other way, then they have to, unless they do what you just did, they have to get a shot off before the quarter ends. Ensuing, as long as you get the rebound, for your team to have the last shot. Now, what you'll see some guys do, a lot of the you know the guys who think beyond the game or the game within the game, is you'll see a team take a shot, goalie will make a save, and the ball will like ricochet all the way down in the corner, and the game clock's running, but the shot clock's not going because there was a reset. And you'll see guys just wait to not pick up a ball and wait for it to get under 30 seconds so that they can have last shot. And it's not a sneaky thing. It's not a disrespectful thing. It's just strategy. It's the game within the game. You always want to try to have last possession. And so if there's 45 seconds left and you use a full 30 and don't get the reset, then the other team will have last shot. So keep an eye on out for that when you're watching games this weekend. Uh, you'll see teams, you know, a guy will step across a couple strides across center and fire a ball on net when he's got nobody out there. Well, he's doing that for the simple reason of a two-for-one, get a shot on net, make the other team use a full 30, and then you get to hold for the final possession. Oh, speaking of goalies, it happened, and you don't see it often. When a team, when both teams pull their goaltenders, it was a bit of a funny sight at the end of that Saskatchewan-Colorado game when Jeff Cornwall scored. Colorado's down a man. Saskatchewan has a penalty. So they pull their goaltender so they can go five-on-five and even up the floor and just make it be a one-on-one game, and then they can just run the clock out. But instead, Colorado then pulls Dylan Ward, so now it's six-on-five, and then they can double the ball and try to cause a turnover and then hopefully go down and tie the game. It was a strange thing. A lot of people were confused by it when it happened, but that's the logic. You always want to try to get... Late in the game, if you can, two-on-one on the ball and create a turnover. Unfortunately, the Mammoth couldn't do that. Cornwall scored into an empty net, and the game was over. 
So those were just some things that uh, popped into my head. I don't do the 30-second shot clock this year that I was doing last year for IL. Um, it was just taking me far too long to write. It was taking me, you know, after watching all the games, it was taking me a good five and a half hours to write those things. So uh, I just take notes now, and every now and then I can remember to talk about them. And they come out in here, and little nuggets for you. Uh, before we get you out of here, the WLA draft was last week, and we talked about Langley having uh, five of the first eight picks, um, and they didn't surprise, and they didn't pull any punches. They went for talent, they went for size, and they went for the jugular and had a fantastic, fantastic draft. If you go over to uh, the WLALacrosse.com website, you can find the draft. If you go to Inside Lacrosse, you can find um, my review of the draft. But um, the Thunder right out of the gate took Tyler Pace. Bit of a no-brainer there. Um, The kid goes to Denver. He's a product of Coquitlam. He's probably one of the best players in Canada uh, coming out of junior. He's going to be a top three pick probably in the NLL draft next year. The Timbermen had the next two picks. They take Nate Wade from Victoria and Chase Fraser. Uh, Nanaimo's really high on these two guys. Victoria really wanted Nate Wade, but there's no way Nanaimo was going to let him slip. Uh, Chase Fraser is one of the best and top scorers uh, in the BC Junior League last year, so they're really happy to get him. Then Langley had the next three picks. They took Reese Callies, who's, I think, 6'7", and is just an absolute monster. Uh, Jordan Magnuson's getting some time with Toronto in the National Lacrosse League, so there's another young defender with a bit of a pro pedigree. And then Johnny Pearson, who another offensively gifted talent coming out of the junior ranks. He was a new Westminster kid. I know the Bellies were trying to get into that first round to try to take him, but they couldn't. Uh, And then Victoria had seventh, the last pick of the first round. They took Evan Messenger. I was a little surprised they didn't take Keegan Rittinger, who went next to Langley. Um, But Chris Welch, the Victoria GM, was adamant that they are going to take the best player possible. And they all felt in their war room that that was Evan Messinger, the lefty at a Delta, who's trying to get into a regular roster spot with the Stealth. Uh, and then the draft kind of went each way to a team's liking. Uh, New West got their first pick at 10. They took Chris Cloutier, the Eastern product, who was out here for the Minto Cup with Coquitlam. They're not sure if they're even going to get him. Um, but as Dan Richardson told me, um, they weren't going to waste a pick on a kid at number 10 that they didn't think could make their team. So they thought they'd take a chance on Kluche. If it takes them a couple years to get him out here, uh, they think that it's going to be well worth the wait. A um, couple names as you go down the list that kind of pop out. You're wondering why they went so deep. Jean-Luc Chetner went number 19 to Maple Ridge. Uh, there are some talks that he's kind of lost his fire for the game. Um, if he wants to find the fire in Maple Ridge, it would be a great place to find it. Uh, McLean Shikween went 27 to Nanaimo. I know Victoria also wanted him. They ended up picking up Matthew Hamilton, a local Victoria guy. So they're okay with that. They got another local guy. Um, and then Cody Nass by the Victoria Shamrocks at 34 was a bit uh, of a head-scratcher. Nass was a huge prospect a couple years ago with Delta. He was getting traded pretty much every year to go to New West and try to win a Minto Cup. He never did. Um, but Victoria picks him up at 34, and you know there's some talk that he may have lost the fire for the game of lacrosse, so maybe Victoria uh, can be a rebirth for him. And then the Lakers taking Cam Milligan at 39, uh, another Eastern guy. Uh, they don't know if he'll, they'll be able to get him out West, but um, at that far down the draft, why not take a flyer on a guy like Cam 
Milligan, he's got some Western experience already. He understands what it's like out here. His dad's coaching the Stealth, so uh, maybe the Milligans are slowly transplanting to the West Coast. That'll about do it for another week here on Off the Crossbar. I am off to Palm Springs, so there probably won't be a podcast next week. If somehow I can pull myself from the golf course and find a studio, I might try and throw something together if need be. But um, enjoy the games this weekend. It all starts on Friday when Toronto is in Buffalo, Calgary at Saskatchewan, Rochester at Vancouver. Sorry, those games are all on Saturday. And then on Sunday, the Mammoth are in New England to take on the Black Wolves. That's a 1 p.m. Eastern start out east. So all us Westerners can watch it with our morning coffee and tea in bed. It was awesome on Sunday being able to just grab my iPad, flip the blinds open, grab a tea, lay in my bed, watch me some Sunday morning lacrosse. Perfect. I loved it. That's about it. We're out of here. Uh, Off the crossbar is the handle on Twitter. Teddy.Jenner at gmail.com is the email address. Love to hear from you. Uh, Ben Mitchell, uh, Evan Schomburg, all you guys emailing in. I love to hear from you guys. I try to respond to everybody that I can. Sometimes I just forget, but I get back to you guys as as best I can. So always interested to hear your thoughts and feedback and willing to chat whenever you wish. So drop me a line or find me on Twitter. Remember, don't believe the hype until there's checks in the bank. There's no expansion happening in the National Cross League is all just a vision. Until next time, be excellent to each other. 